You're listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. Dr. Bill Hogue, and I say it wrong every time, but he lives in Lower Mainland. Um, he is, uh, has his doctorate, and it's specializing in renewing of churches. And he's a missiologist, so he studies missions. He studies uh, movements, church planting. He's been an evangelist. He led Youth for Christ in Scotland. He's authored books. He's, he's just passionate about getting the message of Jesus out and studying what, what God is doing. And I just, every time I'm around him, I'm inspired. And I, I've attended a couple events and got to connect with him and just love his heart. I knew we have to have him uh, share, and you're going to love him. And uh, so I want you to welcome Dr. Bill as he comes all the way from Vancouver. And he was just saying to me, he wished he was in Edmonton with us. and. Uh, here we are. So give it up for Dr. Bill. All right. All right. Thanks so much, Travis. Yeah, seriously, I would have much preferred, especially now in June. Edmonton, maybe not so much in January when you and I were uh, having Mexican food when it was like colder than the North Pole. I just think you guys are amazing in Edmonton. You're so tenacious, so gritty, or so parochial that you don't realize you can actually move to warmer places like Palm Springs, uh, become an illegal immigrant and, and live in the desert and get thawed out. But uh, excited to be with you. As I said, my preference would be up close and personal. My Myers-Briggs is an ENFP. I like to hug people if it's a socially appropriate space to, to hug and to fist bump people and to, to do coffees face to face and speak before crowds face-to-face. -face. But here we are in the Zoom room. Nicky Gumbel is English, but I don't hold that against him. He still speaks with wisdom from time to time, and he said recently, the Holy Spirit is not confused by Zoom. So I think that's good news, that even in the Zoom room, uh, Travis and I caught, got caught up. Were we on Zoom or were we on a good old-fashioned phone call? I think we were Zoomed out, so we were talking on the phone. And I was telling them, I'd experienced a five-hour Zoom meeting. It just about made my brain melt. So the good news is, this won't be a five-hour meeting because I'm not a five-hour preacher. I just want to share some things that God's placed on my heart. I trust it encourages you, inspires you. And at some point, I'll get on Air Canada and come across to Edmonton, and we'll actually get opportunity for leisurely conversation, great Mexican food, and get to hear what God's up to uh, in resurgence through you, among you, and in spite of you. God does some beautiful stuff in spite of us, but he also does some beautiful things in us and in our midst. So I'm leading a missions agency that's a startup. We're like an infant. We're like a baby in diapers called Message Canada. We're part of a global ministry that's 28 years old, started with a an apostolic evangelist in a spare room. Uh, a, that sounds like somewhere in Narnia, spare room, spare room, uh, out of a house. And now it's a global passionate movement called Message. And in Canada, we're focused on really two deliverables. One is recruiting and deploying downwardly mobile urban missionaries who will move into broken postal codes. Why would they do that? To live in gospel community, to bless and elevate the poor and the disenfranchised. 
And so currently we've got one team in the downtown east side of Vancouver, which is a gnarly broken place of despair, maybe Canada's seventh poorest postal code. And just for fun, they opened a cafe as a Christ Center social enterprise so that people coming out of rehab, coming out of addiction, maybe coming out of life of crime who get hijacked by Jesus would not only be discipled, but be developed as leaders. So that's one piece. And the other thing which Travis and I share very much in common and where we met for the first time was a summit under the auspices of advance. So what I want to do as God gives me grace is identify men and women who have been gifted by Jesus to be evangelists. Now, the sad fact in Canada is evangelists are Canada's endangered and threatened species. So I want to see a repopulation of the Canadian gospel ecosystem with anointed men and women who are evangelists. So that's really what I'm about these days. But God's up to something in Canada. If you went to Montreal, you'd be surprised that it's the hot zone of church planting in Canada. Why would that be? Because less than one half of 1% of uh, Quebec is evangelical Christian, which actually means there's more evangelical uh, Jesus followers in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan than there is in Quebec. Go figure. I refer to Quebec as the dark province of Quebec, and Anglophones who are bigots laugh. They think I'm making a funny. No, I'm making a spiritual statement. It's spiritually dark. It needs the gospel, but that's where church plants are seeing the most conversions. Now, why in the world would that be happening? Because God is up to something, and Jesus does his best stuff in a graveyard. Travis and I were on a, a Zoom prayer meeting. Now, bearing in mind, on the Tuesday, I'd had my five-hour Zoom call, so I was fried by Zoom, but we went to a day of prayer in Zoom land. But it was amazing. The presence of God was there. And maybe 3,000 participants, 11,000 views on Facebook Live, whatever that actually means in real terms, I have no idea. But when I was speaking and praying and ranting and raving, 788 Zoom windows were open. So that's a lot of people praying. And uh, it was largely unclunky, which was good news. Now, that endeavor was led by Sarah Maynard, who heads up Red Leaf Prayer Ministries. And what's more significant is she said in her 20 years of leading national prayer ministries, she's never been in such an extended prayer gathering with such an extended focus on what the harvest so God is doing something in our day, and he invites us to partner with him. He invites us to open the eyes of our hearts to see what he's doing and to join him in that. That's good news. In case you haven't figured out, I'm from Scotland, and uh, that's why I speak this way. And the good news is when you get to heaven, you'll speak this way as well because you'll get a glorified resurrection body with glorified resurrection vocal cords. So I do keep track on what's going on in the UK. And there's some intriguing things happening in the UK, like one in four Brits who are kind of hard-boiled, grumpy post-Christians have participated in an online church service. And one in three young adults in the United Kingdom have participated in a live stream or an online church experience. Now, that's quite remarkable, even with the disclaimer that we can get cyberspace looky-looks in their pajamas or boxer shorts who hang out for 45 seconds and then leave to go and get an espresso. But 
God's doing something in jolly old England, post-Christian, miserable Britain. God's doing something. I don't know if you saw on YouTube, and then people started copying the Brits. There was the UK blessing where 65 networks and denominations got together to sing and to pray and speak a blessing over uh, the United Kingdom. I find that quite remarkable, that there's unity, there's prayer. So we're in weird days. We know that. The gal who was leading us in worship said, these are bizarre days. That, that's maybe my favorite adjective to describe COVID-19. Bizarre, we've used the word unprecedented in unprecedented ways, unparalleled, historic. And just as we were figuring our way around life in self-isolation and quarantine then, Racial tension became like an ugly, toxic dumpster fire erupting in the United States. And then we've seen protests. So we're, we're in strange days indeed. But I think COVID-19, God's got a layered agenda. And part of his agenda is selah, a Hebrew word that means pause. So in the Psalms, you're reading the Psalms, and then the musician who composed the Psalms says selah. In other words, Hit the pause button. So part of what God's doing in this crazy moment is pause. And, and we're not choosing the pause. It's enforced upon us. Why? Because we're activistic little monkeys. That's why. And we're ripping around like type A's with a migraine. And God says, chill, kids, be still. Now, there's clearly other things going on. I saw some beautiful things online where the planets actually breathe and smog has dissipated in stinky LA. And you can see the mountains in India for the first time and rivers and streams are being purified. So I think creation is breathing and we are the pinnacle of God's creative handiwork. And he's saying, kids, chill, rest, breathe. So I want to press into that in a moment. But we've all had to kind of adapt. So if you're a rigid, uptight kind of a person, this has been tough for you. If you're an anally retentive person, you possibly had a psychic implosion during COVID-19. So we've had to learn to be adaptive. We've had to learn that our plans kind of suck at the end of the day. James 4, James warns us really not to plan far ahead. And we were into five-year plans, three-year plans. I went to the States in March and had priorities for April, May, and June, completely inconsequential because COVID-19 happened. And the Lord just laughed and said, hey, buddy, those were your plans. What do you do now? Are you okay? Got to walk before you loosely, Father, with open arms and open hands to receive from you. So one of the things I was going to do was actually have an evangelism conference on May 9th in Vancouver. Well, we were under lockdown. People who were coming couldn't travel. So that was the end of that. But we've pivoted because that's the other favorite word, pivot. Even though I hate basketball with a passion. Why? Because Scotsmen can't jump. And I'm only five feet eight. So what kind of affection would I have for basketball? Answer, zippo, nada, none whatsoever, but pivoted. And so now we're doing an online evangelism live streaming conference this Wednesday. It starts at 9 a.m. my time out west, 10 a.m. yours. It's called Seek and Save. And you can join us at advancedgroups.org backslash seek and save backslash. And what was going to be a regional gathering in Vancouver or a local gathering has now become national. 
with national evangelism voices like Sheila Visser, global world changers like Andrew and Wendy Palau, and my old mates from the UK like Andy Hawthorne and Ben Jack, and I'm looking forward to that. But what God's been impressing on me in this season is to go deeper with him. So I'm all about the mission. Jesus says he came to seek and save that which was lost. But before we, we get on board the mission, the bigger seeking is to seek after God, to press into relationship with him. So I want to read a passage of scripture that's been sitting on my heart with fresh weight in these days. I'm reading from the NIV. That's the nearly infallible version. And it's page 876 in your stolen Gideon Bible, or if you'd prefer a biblical postal code, John chapter 15, verse 1. And Jesus uses a gardening metaphor, and that doesn't really appeal to me because I don't know the difference between a weed and a viable plant. That's why my wife doesn't like me doing yard work, and I'm comfortable with that. Sure, honey, I'll back off. Yep, I, I can't handle the weeds. But here, the words of Jesus to us. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. John 15, verse 1. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. And I think that's part of what the Lord's doing in this season. He's pruning. Some of the stuff that we were so fixated, so invested in, we couldn't do for the past three months. And you're going, was that actually God's A1 priority in the first place? And we can be busy, we can be active, but the Lord says, guess what? It's not actually fruit bearing because I didn't actually assign that activity to you. That's just a product of your own fleshly imagination. So thanks very much. I'm going to prune it. So why does God prune? So that we might be even more fruitful. Verse 3, you're already clean because I of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in me, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you this so that you, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask, in my name, the Father will give you. That's my command, love each other. So that's a fairly expansive passage, but it's my conviction you're better to listen to the words of the Bible than to listen to what I have to say. It's the God-breathed book. And I think in here, there's three words from Jesus that are an invitation to you and me. 
three great words from Jesus. The first word, and it's not the most important because I'm going to kind of do this in reverse order because some of you are postmoderns and like a nonlinear kind of non-sequential maneuver. So we're going to kind of go backwards in the passage. But clearly one of the great encouragements from Jesus is the promiser's fruitfulness. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And he also said, you didn't choose me. Hey, it wasn't your idea to follow after Jesus. He said, I chose you. And I've appointed you to bear fruit that will last. So there's something we can press into in prayer because Jesus always keeps his promises. He has designated, destined, anointed, and assigned us for fruitfulness. So it's perfectly appropriate to pray for fruitfulness, missional fruitfulness. I think in this passage, there's the fruitfulness of Christ-like character. I said to my parents one time on a long phone call a couple of years ago, I said, well, after all, I'd actually like to be a Christian and somehow resemble Jesus. So the danger is when you're a middle-aged guy like me, you can get grumpy. You know, you can get grumpy because your team's Manchester United and they're fifth. How sucky is that? You can get grumpy because my neighbor, who's a born-again Christian, parks his car in front of my house instead of in his driveway. And I think that's a legitimate grievance, but the danger is we become grumpy and sour, rather sweet, like Jesus. So I think there's the idea here that God wants to form the character and likeness and beauty of Jesus in you and me, that we carry the aroma of Christ into our home, into our family, into our relational orbit, into the workplace. But there's also the fruitfulness of kingdom work, the fruitfulness in the mission that God has appointed us what for to bear much fruit. What's that kind of fruit? It's the fruit of other lives who are transformed by Jesus. So I was in Montreal back in October or November of last year, and I did training for a church plant. Then I spoke at their uh, gatherings on a Sunday, and their first gathering is a small gathering because it's basically everybody that works their butt off in the second gathering, and it's their opportunity for worship in the Word. And I felt impressed to preach evangelistically. And so that's what I did. And the first service, two people gave their lives to Christ. And at first I got grumpy because one of them was coming forward. His name was Ren, and he'd been in an evangelism workshop I'd been leading the day before. And I, I didn't verbalize this because people don't like it when the preacher releases his inner voice. But my inner voice was knucklehead. What are you doing coming forward? Weren't you listening to the altar call? Huh? And he came forward bawling his eyes out. Turns out he was an unregenerate participant in the evangelism workshop. Go figure. Shows you I'm not God. I saw him engaged in the exercises because it wasn't all a lecture. And I just assumed he was in. But guess what? He was out. And that Sunday, he stepped from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and got baptized after the second service because in God's good providence, it was baptism Sunday. It was big Sunday. And they're in Chile, Montreal. They're getting dunked out in the parking lot. The other gal, the other person that came forward at the first service was a, an asylum seeker from Malawi. First time in church. Gives a light to Jesus. I'm going, yeah, God. Second service, there was more people. I gave an altar call and a ton of people responded. But when I wandered out, I was watching a gal I'd reconnected with the day before. At the evangelism workshop, she said, Bill, do you recognize me? I thought, what kind of lame question is that to ask a middle-aged guy? 
I said, do, do you recognize me? I said, well, I certainly, your face looks familiar, young lady, but I can't, I can't place a name on it. She says, that's okay. You used to be my pastor. Oh, what, what a great pastor I was. Couldn't remember one of the flock, although we had several hundred. And we get caught up. She's a student at Concordia University. And she was chatting about what she was doing there, studying. And then the, uh, she's part of the Canadian Special Olympics team. But on the Sunday, her face was radiant at the baptisms. And she's doing, you know, that strange thing girls do. Guys never do it. That guys will cry like I cry. I cry watching a movie on a plane in a little box like that. So, But guys don't do this when they're crying. They don't do that weird thing. So she's all faces radiant. She's all weepy. And she's also like, <laughs> at the same time. So I was having fun watching her because two of her friends were getting baptized. And as I listened to their story, she was the human instrument that led them to Christ. So I said to her, Danielle, that's amazing. It did my heart good to see how joy-filled you were at this baptismal service because you led these gals to, to Christ. She said, yeah. She said, do you talk to people on a plane about Jesus? I said, I try, but I'm traveling with the Canadian Special Olympics. Her disability is dwarfism, so she's a tiny little lady. And she's coming on with her luggage, and she turns to her seatmate, could you help me, please? And, of course, they help her. They put their luggage in place. And then she says, hi, I'm Danielle. What's your name? And then she just goes for it and shares a story. And I'm, like, fist bumping her. And she tells me another story. She was coming back from Concordia University one night, and she's been harangued by a homeless man who's insulting her because she's so small. And she's unraveled by this tirade of insults and anger. And she scurries back to her apartment, dissolves into tears and says, Lord, what am I supposed to do? You made me this way. What am I supposed to do? And the Lord spoke to her and said, Danielle, go back and buy the guy a meal. I said, Lord, if this is really your voice, he'll be there when I go back out. And there he was, Mr. Angry, same place before. She said, I'm, I'm Danielle. He said, I know who you are. I was shouting at you and I apologize. She says, that's okay. Apology accepted. Can I buy you something to eat? And she took him over to McDonald's. They ate and she discovered he was a backslider. And as they got to know each other, she led him to Jesus. And so when I was talking to Danielle, I said, Danielle, I think you're an evangelist. And internally I was saying, Jesus, we found another one because I want to see people coming to Jesus and I want to identify and encourage evangelists. He goes, I think I am too. So whether you're Bill or Danielle or Travis, Jesus wants to give you missional fruit. The other thing we discover here in this passage, which is a salutary reminder during COVID-19, COVID-19, however you pronounce this pandemic, the coronavirus, the thing that's kept us locked indoors and has fueled conspiracy theories over the Western world. Jesus says in John 15 verse 6, without me, you can do nothing. So there's the promise of fruitfulness, but there's a reminder of our powerlessness and frailty. So depending on your personality structure, you might be a control freak that thinks you can solve any problem. And guess what? You can't solve COVID-19. And Jesus says, actually, you're powerless. So we've been reminded how vulnerable we are, some of the things we plan, some of the things we love to do, and we can't control or manipulate our circumstances, but of course, ultimately, Jesus is talking about spiritual futility and spiritual powerlessness. Without him, we're actually frail and feeble and fragile and powerless. 
And sometimes we actually believe that. A.W. Tozer said if God was to remove his Holy Spirit from the church, 95% of activity would go on business as usual. You go, whoa. And the first time I read that, I thought, wow, what a grumpy old man he is. And I think he was a grumpy old man, but he was right. A lot of what we do is without the power and energy and anointing and fullness of the Holy Spirit. And there's a reminder here that we need to rely on Jesus and experience his power. But the big, the big invitation here in John 15 is this, to press into friendship. Don't know if you heard me as I was reading John 15. I, I was reading from the NIV, and it prefers the word remain. Some translations abide, but whether it's remain or abide, it's there about 10 times, remain, remain, remain in me. I remain in you, remain in me, remain in my Father's love. My word remains in you, remain, 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 remain. Now, generally, if you want to get a point across, what do you do? You repeat it. And if you really want to get a point across, you repeat it again and again. And then if you're the Lord Jesus with 12 numbskulls for disciples, and then the extended numbskull brigade, you and me, what do you do? You say it 10 times. And that way, hello, McFly. Anybody home? And it kind of penetrates our consciousness that Jesus' invitation is to abide remain, stay intimately connected, hang out. What is this remaining? It's affectionate attachment. It's to prioritize intimacy with Jesus and to hang out with him. And if we abide, if we slow down, because we must slow down, and that's part of God's agenda in COVID-19, then it enables us in a fresh and a new way to allow the love of Jesus and the affection of the Father to infuse us. Here's a remarkable thing I discovered in Scripture. The same love and relentless affection that God the Father has for God the Son. Wow, I just muted myself there, so I need to repeat myself. I'll keep my hands off the keyboard. Okay. The same love and tender affection that God the Father has for his Son, our dear Lord Jesus is the same love and tenderness and affection that he has for you and me. And part of the agenda of slowing down is God wants us to slow down and abide so that we can receive his word. Jesus also says, and my words remain in you. So he wants scripture to remain in us, to get deep into us, to settle into us, because that's the secret source of spiritual transformation. It's not really rocket science. How can I be transformed and be less of a jerk than I was three years ago or six months ago? How can I become more of a servant, more of another centered person, more of a loving person? It's to slow down, receive the Father's love, absorb the Father's love, and then become a conduit for the Father's love and let the words of Jesus, his teaching, his wisdom, his scriptures get into my heart, get into my mind so that I'm transformed by the renewal of my mind. There's an invitation to remain in Jesus, to remain in his love, to remain in the Father's love, to be perpetually reminded by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we're too loud, we're too noisy, we're too busy. And Carl Jung said, busyness is not of the devil, it is the devil. And obviously you could theologically deconstruct that, but you get the point that busyness is not a virtue. And sometimes we're so busy that we can't hear the thin whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, you're the beloved of the Father. 
You're the apple of his eye. He's besotted with you. He's twitterpated by you. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And then that love makes us into a different man or a different woman because that love begins to vaporize our self-absorption. Sometimes I'll do something kind for someone and they'll say, wow, you're such a great guy. You're such a nice guy. And then if I'm feeling like a theological smart aleck, I'll say, no, I'm a self-absorbed jerk. But when Jesus' love gets a hold of me, then I start to become a different kind of person. So there's an invitation here, first and foremost, to friendship. The first call of Jesus isn't to do, do, do. It's come, follow me. It's an invitation to relationship. In Mark 3.15, Jesus picks the 12. And what's the primary agenda? That they might be with him. And so some of us have been locked in our little cyber bubble, in our Zoom room, in our home office. And part of that is so that God can get our attention. So initially, I've received, I know there's, there's been a disaster. It's been a, it's been a challenge to people's health, especially the elderly and high risk. And my wife's actually high risk uh, in terms of COVID-19. And certainly, I would say this very carefully to a frontline health worker, but Morag and I, my wife Morag and I, have embraced this kind of like the sabbatical we've never had. So I'm not in a plane like a madman ripping around North America and overseas. I'm not in my car all the time. The evangelists I mentor, I mentor them online, so I don't drive 50 minutes into Vancouver and 75 minutes back. There's the gift of time. What am I doing with the gift of time? And then, of course, things are beginning to open up across the provinces. And the question is, am I going to maintain these new rhythms of more extended time with the Father, more hanging out with Jesus. So I start my day. I don't set an alarm clock because I'm pretty much up early for the most part. And I'll sit in silence. And I've actually got a scripture in the room I sit in and it just says, be still. Well, it's the whole scripture says, be still and know that I am God. So I try and open up my heart to God in wordless prayer. Then I'll go and get my second cup of coffee because I'm actually an atheist until I have two cups of coffee in the morning. And I'll sit praying maybe praying in tongues, maybe praying in English, maybe praying in Scottish, because th those are the three languages I can speak, plus je parle français un petit peu. So, th so that's four languages. But I begin just spend extended, slow time. God's not in a rush. He's the three-mile-an-hour God. And so he's saying, hey, little man, little Taipei, little recovering workaholic, little empire builder, can you slow down? because I'm moving at three mile an hour. And I don't want you going any faster than that because you get too fast, you run ahead of me. And you get too fast, you can't hear what I want to say to you. And so the Lord invites us to abide. But that requires action on our part. Now, we're all about the grace of God. But Dallas Willard said, grace removes earning. It does not remove effort. So if you and I want to be transformed by Jesus, it actually requires investment. That's why Paul said to Timothy, train yourself to be godly, gymnasticize yourself to be godly. So what does that look like? John Ertberg got on the phone to Dallas Willard. He says, I want to grow in my relationship with God and be formed in deeper Christ-likeness. What have you got for me? And Willard said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. 
And Ortberg said, okay, what else is there? And Dallas Willard said, there ain't nothing else, buddy. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And of course, that's what inspired John Mark Comer's book. And he does give props to Willard and Ortberg there. But if you and I want to respond to the invitation of the Father and experience his manifest presence and have our heart and our inner man and our inner woman grow and experience the irrigating, refreshing power of the Holy Spirit, it actually requires a response on our part. So I'm going to hand over to Travis in a minute, recognizing I spoke more than the 20 minutes I was supposed to speak. But we've got a question we want you to chew on, and the question might pop up. Uh, but in light of Jesus' invitation, he says, I don't call you lackeys, drones, henchmen, worker bees, kingdom builders, slaves, servants. I call you friends. Isn't that beautiful? That Jesus, he's much more than friend because Colossians says in him, all the fullness of Godhead dwells in bodily form. He's the king of the cosmos. He's the forgiver, the rescuer. He's the archegos, the pioneer, the alpha and the omega the ever indestructible Jesus, but he says, hey, I call you friend. I want to be your friend. And so you go, friends, I ignore my friends. Well, what kind of friend are you? He says, draw near. He wants us to be like the apostle John, the beloved disciple who put his head on Jesus' chest at a dinner party. How close is that? Close enough to hear his heartbeat and to experience his presence and to smell his messianic musk and be enveloped in his affection. That's how close. So our question for you, as I hand over to Travis, is how are you going to respond to Jesus, in particular his invitation of friendship, and make room to experience the abiding life, the remaining life, the transformed life, the rest in life, the life of fullness that he offers you? Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.